0: tell you what, uh, my wife and I moved here from Illinois uh, to plant the Refuge Church uh, six years ago now, Uh, and uh, and in March, as a church will turn six years old, and uh, still, to this very day, every single Sunday, I'm amazed that you will come to the Refuge Church, that you would allow me the opportunity to share with you God's amazing word. It's it's not anything that I take lightly. And so um, I'm excited today. Today we're beginning a new series. Uh, Some of you guys are so excited about that new series because the last one was eight weeks long and you're like, I'm done with that one. Uh and uh it was it was a great series. We 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 talked about the hood and the th- words that end in hood. And last week we got under the hood and we talked about SEX and it was a lot of fun. That was sex for those of you that couldn't hear that. Um we talked about sex and uh hopefully we learned about, about what God says about about that topic. Uh before I get started into our new series called Church Hurt. I am really excited for that, uh, but before I do, um, I have a little bit of a confession to make, and uh, last Sunday, and, and, and so every year as a church, we begin this Bible journey called the Bible Recap, where we read through the Bible um, in a year together, and during each month, during the Bible Recap, they, uh, they have this this series or this uh, episode so every every day of reading this is one reason why I love it every day of reading has a podcast that goes along with it to explain the the reading that we just had and um, and it's it's incredible the girl that does the the podcast her name's is Terry Lee cobble she's a former uh, Christian artist Chris uh, music artist and she does a phenomenal job well every month they have a they have a an episode that they call the Corrections and Reflections episode. And my confession to you this morning is, as a pastor, sometimes I wish I could have a Corrections and Reflections episode of the Refuge Church, of the sermon from the last week, <laughs> particularly this last Sunday, or last Sunday. In both services, I made a biblical error that, I, that has been driving me crazy all week. All right. Someone pointed it out to me uh, at the end of the last service uh, last Sunday, and it's just been driving me crazy all week. And so I have to reflect. I have to I have to correct because it's actually a, a really when you when you think about it and you, it, it actually shows the goodness of God that we just sang about um, in, a, in a better way when I explain it the way it really happened. And so. I pointed out the story of Noah It is in Genesis chapter nine. But I said what I said before that was that God caused the flood to happen because of the Tower of Babel. However, the Tower of Babel actually took place after the flood. So I need to point that out. That was my error. And I apologize. It drove me crazy all sun, all, all week. Not, not just not just it still drives me crazy, obviously. And uh, the reason that's so important is because God promised that he would never flood the earth again after the flood. And so then three chapters later in Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel happens where the the people try to try to get to God. And and like they become so proud that they think they're better than God and they can get to him and they say, I'm going to show you. And God still doesn't destroy the earth again. And. The fact that the Tower of Babel happens after the flood just explains and displays God's patience with mankind. And so I just wanted to. Whew, I feel a lot better. I feel a lot better. I don't know about you. I, I, I. Oh man! I tell you what. I feel a lot better, and I appreciate your grace. And speaking about grace, uh, speaking of grace, this morning we're starting a church uh, a series called Church Hurt, and it has nothing to do with my. Uh, my mistakes that I did last week. This isn't the kind of, that's not the kind of hurt that we're talking about today. Unfortunately, the truth is, is that churches are, are made up of people. Church is made up of people. I say that's unfortunate because the unfortunate truth is that people are sinful. Because the church is made up of sinful people, the church can often be sinful. Now, you're not going to hear that at a lot of churches this morning, but you'll hear it here because I acknowledge that churches are made up of people and people the Bible call. Sinful in the book of Romans it says that the people are for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But here's what's incredible about about Jesus is that even though the church is filled with sinful people, Jesus still calls the church his beautiful bride. Like, just stop and think about that for a moment. Like, we're sinful, but Jesus calls us his most beautiful bride. Sinful people make up a church that Jesus calls his his body and his bride. The sad truth is that I don't have to explain to you just how sinful the truth the church is, but I can. In 2019, Lifeway Research uh, and Outreach Magazine conducted a study that showed that one in three, that's 32% of the people surveyed, of Protestant churchgoers, so these are people that go to Protestant church, like <laughs> we've all heard the Catholic horror stories, right? We don't have to, like, I'm not even, I'm not even talking about the, the Catholic priests and, and the things that you hear about in the news. I'm talking about Protestant churches, evangelical churches. 32% of Protestant churchgoers believe that many more Protestant pastors have sexually abused children or teenagers than has been currently exposed. So 32%, now that's the perception. The perception is that 32% of people believe that pastors have sexually abused kids or teenagers. Slightly more at 37% disagree with that statement, just 37%, while 31% just don't know. 29% 29% of Protestant churchgoers say that there are many more undiscovered instances of Protestant pastors who have sexually assaulted adults. Not kids, not, not teenagers, but adults. While 41% disagree, and again, 30% just don't know. I think the, what was interesting was that out of those surveyed, only 4% of people know someone that was actually sexually assaulted. So so they, there's this perception. Do you understand what I'm getting at? There's this perception that pastors are sinful. Newsflash. Pastors are sinful. I stand before you as the pastor of a Protestant church that started the church, and I tell you, pastors are sinful myself included I'm not I'm not superman I'm sinful again something that you won't hear at many churches because pastors are sinful the church hurts people because the materials that make up the church are not brick and mortar The materials that make up the most beautiful bride, the most beautiful thing that Jesus has to offer this world right now, the material that he uses are sinful people. Not just people, sinful people. People that make mistakes. So the theme verse, man, it is quiet this morning. <laughs> the theme verse for this series is found in Hebrews chapter twelve. You can turn in your Bibles, or you can follow along in the U Version Bible app. All of the notes for today are right there. I've got, um, I've learned here recently that. Sundays where I give a lot of information, it does get quiet quite often. Um, it also gets quiet when I get emotional, obviously. Case in point. Uh, but it gets it gets it gets quiet. I I invite you guys to 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 scream, to shout, to to laugh, to cry, to to participate you're going to get out of this what you what you put into it and uh, if you write down things if you take notes you're going to get even more out of it that you can look at throughout the week because we again want your time to be worthwhile we want you to leave here different than you came I've been having a conversation with my friend Brian. I'm going to say this at the beginning of the message, and hopefully you remember it at the end, because it's going to make the most impact at the end. But I've been having this conversation with my friend Brian about conviction. And one of the things that we've been talking about is that oftentimes we don't think, or we don't, the church, and I'm going to get into this in my message, so it goes right along with it. But the church hasn't taught about what conviction is. In fact, we, we tend to think that conviction is going to the pastor after the service. And, th- and if you do this, I, listen, I welcome it. I still welcome it. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not bagging on you. I'm not, I'm not saying that it's wrong. But what I'm saying is we've taught that conviction and the way you respond to a message is you go to the guy that was on stage for the last hour and you tell him, hey, man, that was a really good talk. Because you're sitting there and you're feeling something, you feel something because it was a good talk, quote unquote good talk, and you don't know what to do with it. We have to learn that what is said on stage, especially from God's word, is meant to be taken and applied to our lives so that we can actually put it into practice. I don't need to be told that that was another good talk. That's right. That's right. It feels good. It feels good to be told that was a that was a great message, Pastor Adam. I don't need to be told that. I need to see people who have had their hearts touched so much that they put into practice what was talked about. And so I didn't plan on saying that this early. I didn't plan on saying it really at all. I just know the church has hurt people. So let's look at God's word and let's see what God's word has to say about what happens. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 through 15 says, work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Can we just stop there? Christians, stop acting like those that are not holy should pay attention to that which is holy. I've learned something about holiness in the last couple of weeks that I realize, makes me realize, that not everyone agrees with this book. Not everyone agrees, but it's true. But that doesn't make it any less true. It's still very much true. I will always preach the truth of God's word. But I know there are some people that I must love that don't know this yet, that don't understand it as the truth yet. And there's a reason for that. And in order for me to... It's not my job to, con- to convince them that this is true. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. But it's my job to love them. There's an old Billy Graham quote about that. So keep reading. He goes on. He says, for those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Verse 15, look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no pious root of bitterness, whoa, pious root of bitterness, poisonous, sorry, I'm not making up the Bible, (laughs) but I do know how to read. That was almost a really awkward Reflections and Corrections episode. Man. Can you tell I'm on a soapbox this morning? (laughs) Let's, Let's read that again. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Four quick things about this rich, rich scripture. Number one, living in peace requires work. If we're going to get along with each other, we're going to have to work at it. Number two, living in holiness requires work. Being set apart, being other, it requires work. We can't just separate ourselves. It requires work. Number three, we must fight for each other, not with each other. That's what it means to look after each other. And the reason we have to fight for each other and not with each other is so that we will receive the grace of God. And when we have each other's backs and we fight for each other, we realize that we're not just all human. But we're all humans that God loves so much that he gave his only son Jesus to die on the cross for our sin. And when we come together, we come together, and people might just see the grace of God in that act. Here's why we're talking about church hurt. Because if we're not careful, church hurt leads to bitterness. And bitterness, bitterness leads to church hate. And church hate leads to God hate. when God's intent for all of mankind is God's grace. If bitterness takes root, it is, the Bible says, not pious, poisonous. And the poisonous root of bitterness leads to hatred of the church, which leads to hatred of God. And I'm afraid that that's often what we see in today's Christian society. I think that that's the ultimate cause of what the what has become known as the movement of deconstruction, where people are deconstructing their faith. We're going to talk about that next Sunday, not this Sunday. For this series, um, in the context of church hurt, I want you to understand that the thing that's beautiful about, about church hurt is that church hurt just... It's just a a description of what what can take place in the church. Now, I realize that some of you have never been hurt by the church. And I praise God for that. But most everyone has probably experienced some sort of emotional pain. And all of the things that I have to say about church hurt can apply to emotional pain, any type of emotional pain. So once again, you're all on the hook. You're not. No one is off the hook this morning. So as we begin this series, week one, that's today, we're talking about identifying church pain, identifying church pain. Next week, we're going to talk about responding to church pain. And in the, in the three weeks, uh, week three, we're talking about uh, finding purpose, in our church pain. And then week four, we're going to give you a plan, a a protection plan, if you will, for the future and hopefully guarding your heart when it comes to, again, the poisonous root of bitterness. So that's where we're going. I hope that you'll go on this four-week journey with us as we talk about church pain. But let's talk about identifying church pain for just a moment. So I was a youth pastor for about 12 years prior to um, to starting the Refuge Church, and um, the last couple weeks have been really interesting. Um, like, how many can agree that the last two weeks have been really interesting on social media, especially, which is why many of you have gotten off. Which a few you, you have, I applaud you. Um, and and I'm still there because I feel like I, I, I. I have a voice that uh, that needs to be heard, but at the same time, uh, I'm learning that social media has earmuffs on, and uh, people just don't don't hear it. And so, um, and and we could get on about that. But for the last two weeks, I've encountered some conversations with former students, and my heart is mourned um, over the last couple of weeks. Um, because people are hurt. That's why it's mourned. because people are hurt. And not just people are hurt, but people that I've worked with are hurt. They're not necessarily hurt by me, but they're hurt in general. And uh, this last week, I had a conversation with a girl that said to me, the church isn't who it thinks it is. If the church was who it says it is or thinks it is, then I wouldn't have been kicked out at 16 years old for getting pregnant. Now, I have to add, she did not attend my church when that happened. My churches that I worked in were not perfect, but we didn't kick anybody out for out for getting pregnant as a teenager. But um but she'd been hurt because the church kicked her out when she was 16 for getting pregnant. I have another friend that um lives in Boston that I worked with. Um and and, and so so that conversation with her. I told her when she told me she, she had been kicked out, I, I told her, I said, I'm sorry that your experience with church has hurt you. And she replied, Oh, I'm not hurt. I said, Okay. Another friend, my friend in Boston, I was talking about, he, um, long story short, um, he left the church completely, left faith completely. And I went to him and I asked him, uh, how has the church hurt you? And he said, well, the church didn't hurt me. It just couldn't answer my questions. But a lot of times, and I'm not going to get into the specifics of the, the the causes of pain, okay? I'm not, I'm not going to do that because there are all kinds of stories and I don't want to dis- disrespect one story to, get, to point out another story. There are stories and the fact of the matter is is that the church causes pain and that's all we have to know. Yeah. He says to me, I'm not... I didn't get hurt. I just couldn't. I just got, got tired of no one being able to answer my questions. Step one to overcoming church hurt is being willing to identify your pain. That's why we're, call, that's why we're starting with it in week one. Um, identifying pain is funny. Um, have you ever noticed that, uh, that kids, especially, um, when they get hurt, they know they've been hurt. In fact, they know they've been hurt, and all they care is that their pain goes away, and they, they know mama can fix it. <laughs> Notice, I didn't say daddy can fix it. Yeah. I said mama can fix it. But identifying pain is a funny thing. Friday night, my son, Graham, and I had the privilege of going to a Portland Sea Dogs game with some people from uh, some generous people from the church that invited us to go, and I don't know what inning it was. It was about the fifth or sixth inning. I'm the guy in front of me ordered Sea Dog biscuits, and I'm distracted <laughs> by the Sea Dog biscuits. <laughs> if you don't know what Sea Dog biscuits are, woo. I'm watching people. All of a sudden, I hear, I look up, and the ball's coming right at me. <laughs> I mean, like right at me. And it, if I wasn't distracted, I would have caught the ball, darn it. <laughs> <laughs> but instead, I go like this, I try to catch it, and the ball goes right past, and it hits me right square in the arm, forearm. the usher comes over to me. Are you good? You need anything? I'm good. (laughs) I'm good. I don't need anything. Ouch. (laughs) I think I might have even said at one point, I'm amazed that that didn't hurt worse. It still hurts. (laughs) But as we get older... We stop being able to identify pain, especially emotional pain. You know, Jesus told us and taught us to come to him with faith like a child. You know, I wonder sometimes if Jesus said to come to him with faith like a child because kids know when they've been hurt. And because kids know that mama or daddy can fix my boo-boos. Church, as adults, we need to be willing to come to Jesus and say, God, I've been wounded. And I know that your blood can heal me. My prayer is for this series is that you would find healing for your pain. But I want you to know today that the only way that that will happen is if you can first identify that you've been hurt. Last week when I talked about the birds and the bees, I'll just say it that way. <laughs> I mentioned a little something that I I said has be, is becoming foundational to my walk with God, which I hope that I'm always the pastor that you guys see is still trying to figure it out. I hope I don't want to be a pastor that you come to every Sunday morning because you think I have it all figured out. Can I tell you this morning? I don't. And I'm still trying to figure it out because you're still trying to figure it out. And because Philippians teaches us that God works out our salvation. And so I'm still working out my salvation. And one of the things that he's working out in me, I'm learning is to find my identity in Jesus. I talked about it last Sunday. I'm probably going to continue to talk about it because it's my process. And because it's my process, guess what? It's your process too. As long as you're coming to this church, it's your process too. And that leads me to today's big idea. The big idea for today, if you're taking notes, write it down. If you're not taking notes, get out your, your phone, get out the notes portion, and open a note and write this down. The big idea for today is the most common cause of church hurt is misplaced. Misplaced identity. The most common cause of church hurt is mis Placed identity. Notice what I didn't say. I didn't say your misplaced identity. I didn't say the church's misplaced identity. I said misplaced identity. That's all I said. Because if, if, if we're honest... Someone that comes into a church service like this, and they hear a story about or they hear a message about church hurt, and they've been hurt by the church, and they hear that the big idea for today is the most common cause of church hurt is misplaced identity. Most people hear that as the pastor saying, I have misplaced identity. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that misplaced identity is the most common cause of church hurt. I want to remind you of where our identity is at this morning in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. This, this verse is slowly becoming my life verse. I think it should be all of ours. It says this. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me, and gave himself for me. Jesus is always supposed to be our identity, but if he's going to be our identity, that means that Adam Harold must die. My desires must die. My, My ambitions must die. But notice, we're not just dead. We don't just die but we're crucified with Christ. We die with him on the cross. We put ourselves. And with that, I've lost everyone in the room. Because, because that is an, ex, that is an extremely difficult task. And the only way. The only way that we become crucified with Christ, the only way that we can die to ourselves is with this book, by this book, by living this book, by applying this book. But the problem is. We don't learn we don't we we don't completely die to ourselves when we come to Jesus My pastor always says that life change happens in a second, but, sorry, heart change happens in a second, but life change happens over time. Heart change happens in a second, life change happens over time. In a second, you can make a decision, but in order for it to change your life, it's going to happen over time. Let me add to that this morning by saying that dying to yourself happens in a second, just happens in a moment, but the process of dying to yourself happens over time. It's a process. When it comes to the Christian life, I'm learning that there are three lanes, if I can put it that way, there are three lanes that we run the Christian life in or we walk the Christian life, we drive the Christian life in. However you move down a lane, this is the, these are the three lanes that we live in. If you're taking notes, write this down. I, I keep going back and forth about getting a whiteboard, like, like doing something to, to where you can, I can write them down and you can, you can follow along with it that way. But lane number one is identity. We, I've, I've talked about it. I'm going to continue to talk about it. But right next to identity, I want you to write the word Christ, capital C-H-R-I-S-T, because Christ is our identity, In order for that to fully happen, we have to die to ourselves. So Christ is our identity. Now, the second lane, and listen, each lane happens in order. You can't move to the second one without the first one. So the first lane is identity. You have to learn to identify with Jesus. However, the second lane is the lane of instruction, Okay, so you've got identity, then you've got instruction. Where does instruction come from? The word, God's word. So next to, because we're working with C's here, work with me, I'm a preacher. (laughs) I, Christ, I, so identity, Christ, instructions, commands. These are the commands of God. But let me hear, you got to hear this loud and clear. If your identity is misplaced, the instructions will also be misplaced. The reason, we just read it in Hebrews chapter 12. Unholy people don't identify with the Lord. They don't because they haven't found their identity in Christ. You have to first come to that moment where you acknowledge, at least, that you have to die to yourself, be crucified with Christ. Identity, Christ, instructions, command, three, inheritance. Inheritance. Next to inheritance, write the word, guess what letter it starts with? <laughs> community. So, identity, Christ, inheritance, commands, I mean, sorry, instructions, commands, inheritance, community. When you learn to read God's word with this lens, and this is what this is the process that I'm learning. This is the what, what I began with my friend Brian this last Tuesday, the discipleship process that looks just like this. I'm listen, I'm still learning it, it's still very fresh, but I'm so excited about it. I have to tell you, because I believe it will heal you. Because we've got a misplaced identity, not just in the church not just as individuals, but also in the church. Because what happens in church, and if I'm a 1,000% honest with you, I'll even tell you that I'm scared to death. Because I look at how we're doing things in our church, and I'm like, Adam, how we're doing them in this church doesn't necessarily match this. What are you going to do about it? And so we've got some changes to make. I don't know exactly what they look like. We'll figure it out. But what happens in church is we teach people to discover their purpose in the church. The purpose isn't the inheritance that'll preach. The purpose isn't the inheritance. Your purpose for your life is not your inheritance. That's not why you exist. You don't exist so that your dad or your mom will die and you get all their belongings. That's not how life works. Your purpose in life is your identity. Your purpose in life is Jesus. What we teach is that your purpose is found in your Inheritance when in fact your purpose is found in your identity. We have a misplaced identity. And when we teach people that their purpose is in their inheritance, which is the community, the church. The church is a community. When we teach people that that's where their purpose is at. What happens is we have unrealistic expectations of what is our inheritance because that's not what it's supposed to be. Don't you ever come to this church because Adam Harold's the pastor at this church. Come to this church because you'll discover God in this church. You'll discover who he is in this church. You'll learn to know God, find freedom, leave an impact in this world and on in the process you'll discover your purpose which is to make disciples how do you get an inheritance you get an inheritance because of the work that your dad has done your parents have done the work that they put in they give you this inheritance not many american families get inheritance anymore they do some do But what happens is as you work, you build. So let me explain it to you in the context of community and in in the context of Christian community. So how is a community, how does a community grow? Anybody know? How does a community grow? A community grows by invitation, Right? So when we invite people to our community, as we invite people to our church and people come to our church, our community grows. The the reason the community is the inheritance is because our purpose is in the invitation. We have to learn to invite people to Jesus. I want to conclude by telling you uh, real quick, let me let me just read for you about inheritance in Acts chapter two verse forty two. And explain to you how how um, inheritance is the community. Acts chapter two verse forty two through forty four says, "All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the the fellowship of what the fellowship of the community, the inheritance." And. To share in meals, including the Lord's Supper and prayer. And deep, a deep, deep sense of awe came over them. And, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in community. In one place, sharing everything they had. That's what inheritance looks like. A community formed together. Being together together. But what happens when the community hurts you? What happens when the inheritance hurts you? We're going to talk about next week how to respond. But I want to share with you a little bit of why I feel like I'm a little bit qualified to talk about church hurt. As I look back at my life, uh, if I'm 100% honest with you, I have to say that I'm, I'm shocked that God would use a guy like Adam Harold to do what he's doing in Wyndham, Maine. You see, some of you may know part of my story, but you may not know all of my story. I went to four high schools in three years in three different states. I'll say that again because I say it always. I, I've said it so many times. I say it fast. Four high schools, three years, three different states. Illinois, Kentucky, Indiana, back to Illinois again. Until I had watched Disney's movie Inside Out, I didn't realize the effect that moving has on a child. If you've never seen Disney's Inside Out, um, there's a it uses the event of a family moving to display the emotions of this little girl. I realized I saw that movie as an adult, and I was like holy cow i've i've been hurt by moving so much but the cause of my move was always because my dad was a pastor of a church where we had to move from my from the ages of about 11 to 15 i lived in a town called rochelle illinois my dad pastored a church for four years, where the previous pastor had been there for 35 years, and he was still at the church as one of the deacons in the church, the, one, the, the lead deacon of the church. So what happens in that situation is a guy that's been the leader for 35 years, anytime anyone wanted direction, they didn't go to the leader, the pastor. They went to the previous leader of 35 years because he had had more time than the other guy. And my dad went through that for four years until he realized that he'd been hurt as well. The story, I'm not blaming my dad in this story because my dad experienced the same pain that I did. So because he had been hurt, he had been trying to do this, he felt led to go to Lexington, Kentucky. If I'm honest with you, the that, that move from Rochelle to Lexington transformed my life. It was painful. It was the most painful. For, in Lexington, Kentucky, I remember in November of 95, my dad, because, because he wanted us to finish, just like any good parent does, he wanted us to finish school in, in, up until Christmas break. So he would drive, I, th- I wanna say it was like five or six hours every weekend to drive from Rochelle, Illinois to Lexington, Kentucky so that he could lead the church on the weekend. And he did that until Christmas time. But on no- in November at Thanksgiving, he invited our whole church to go with him because we had a little extra time from school. So the whole family went to Lexington, Kentucky. On the Tuesday before Thanksgiving, we were supposed to host a community outreach service where we offered turkey to the, things, to the community, except the event didn't take place. Because on Tuesday morning, my dad was awake, awakened by a telephone call from the Lexton Fire Department saying the church was caught on fire. The church was burnt to the ground. That was on Thanksgiving. On Valentine's Day, the head deacon of the church comes to my dad and he says, we love you so much, we want you gone. So my dad looked at my family and he said, I don't know what to do. He called some friends and he Found a job in Fort Wayne, Indiana, as the associate pastor at Temple Baptist Church. He went. When I was 17 years old, my dad was my youth pastor. Because he realized that he needed some healing. So he stepped down from being the lead pastor of the church. And he was my youth pastor for a full year. After a year, my dad felt the call. He felt like he had healed. I don't know if he had. If I'm 100% honest, I don't know that he ever has. And he went to the pastor and he said, Pastor Pastor Chuck, I feel like God is calling me to be a pastor again. Pastor Chuck said, all right, you got 30 days to find one. 30 days. So my dad found a church in Salem, Illinois, where I moved on my, in my junior year of high school. And by the grace of God, I graduated the year later. After my senior year, I went to my mom and I said, I'm gonna go to Bible college to be a pastor. My mom looked at me and you know what she said? She said, Adam, after all the moving, after all the pain that the church has caused you, why would you do something like that? (laughs) I looked at my mom and I said, Because God has called me to ministry. Because God has called me. He has an assignment for me. What I learned in the last couple of weeks is because my parents throughout all those years had taught me that my identity wasn't in the church. My identity was in the Jesus that loved me <laughs> so much that He laid down His life so that I could be crucified with Him and identify with Him. And my, when I my identity is in Him, I want to serve Him. I want to be there for Him, and whatever He asks me to do, my answer is always yes. but it has nothing to do with me. So I hope your applause isn't for me and the pain that I've had and the ability to stand before you. Because I'm just the vessel. The vessel that is here to tell you that Jesus loves you and he wants you He wants to become your identity. He wants to become who you are. My senior year of high school, I learned something that catapulted me, that was the catalyst to the reason I am here today. And that's what I'm gonna tell you about next Sunday. Stand to your feet, I wanna pray with you. It's awkward for me to stand here and talk about myself because I realize that God has given me the story that he has so that hopefully someone can learn where their identity is at. So really, it has nothing to do with me. but it has to do with you because you're the one that Jesus is after. He's after you. He wants to come into your life and he wants to transform you. And on the surface of that, that looks terrifying. Looks terrifying. Can I be truthful? It is. It is but it's the most joyous, terrifying that you'll ever experience. Because when you learn to identify in Him, He teaches you, He instructs you and He promises you an inheritance. What a great God we have. Bow your heads with me if you would. I want a sacred moment for a second. Because I want, this is that moment that I was talking about. This is the moment of conviction. What are you gonna do with it? Because again, it's nice to be told it did a good job. I don't need that. I don't listen, my identity is in Jesus. I'm secure in that. I don't need to be told, but I need you to look at what has been said today and learn to identify with Jesus. Because when you do, it'll transform you. And you'll be able to stand against the fiery darts of the devil. And you'll learn to make Jesus your refuge so that the storms of life, when they come, you're not gonna be overwhelmed by them because your identity is in Jesus come here here this morning You say, Pastor Adam, I need my identity to be in Jesus this morning. I need to accept him as my savior. Would would anybody be brave enough to to just raise your hand and say, Pastor Adam, that's me. I need to accept him this morning. I'm tired of fighting, I see it. Anybody else? Anybody else? I, I need to accept him. Thank you, I see that hand. Anybody else? I'm gonna die to myself today. I see your hand right there. Maybe you didn't raise your hand. As a church, I want us all to say this prayer with me, to say it out loud. And if you believe it in your heart for the first time, you believe it in your heart and you mean it, I want you to know that you're saved. Say this prayer with me, church. Say, God, I come to you a sinner that needs the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross for me. And when he died, I died with him. I lay myself down at your feet and I ask you to come into my life, to save me, to give me an identity that is found in Jesus. In his name I pray, amen. If you said that prayer, would you let us know by filling out the card, drop it in the black box so that we can celebrate with you today. I was a little long, I apologize. Give Jesus some praise, come on.